Hey folks, thanks for joining me for this episode of the Embellished Podcast, a podcast focused on product stories, product storytellers, interesting brand ambassadors, and any other tangent that I happen to come up with. Whether you're a bourbon fan, a geek, a casual observer, or someone just floating through this channel, you're sure to waste a few minutes listening to what I have to say, and I hope you find it interesting. Uh, if you've got here by chance, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. I can be found on any podcasting platform that exists, and if you can't find me on a platform, send me an email at embellishpod at gmail.com, and I'll try to get that taken care of. I also generally live stream the recording of these episodes on YouTube on Wednesday nights around 9.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. You can find all of my links on Instagram at embellishpod or Twitter with the same handle. I have a website. It is www.embellishpod.com. It is also a great place to pick up links, episode details, and even some one-off tasting notes. Today is March the 16th. Um, we are celebrating St. Patrick's Day Eve. Um, we're going to be talking about Irish whiskey holidays, whiskey tradition, and whatever else happens to come up uh, as a part of our pre-celebration celebration. We've got a little bit of Red Breast 12-year. Um, that's what we're running with for the evening. Um, one of the things that I enjoy about this, I've drank it a few times, uh, since purchasing this bottle, it's got a lot of light flavors and that's, you know, being a bourbon fan, usually we're really into deep, dark, rich flavors. Um, but this one, um, you know, it's light and fruity on the front, honey, all the, the wonderful delicate flavors that come from aging in an environment like Ireland. Um, but after you drink it, the aftertaste as it sits uh, on my palate, it just reminds me an awful lot of drinking a chocolate malt. It's just got that malty richness that um, just just kind of persists on the tongue. So before we get too deep into the show, um, I don't know how long this one will go. It'll probably be a relatively short episode. I hadn't originally planned to talk about this. I was planning on talking about something else. Then I realized, hey... It's St. Patrick's Day this week, and it's time to um, discuss slash celebrate that and did a little bit of research this morning, put together what we've got for the day. But uh, two weeks ago, I haven't been here on a Wednesday night in quite a while, um, but two weeks ago, I got an opportunity to uh, do a live stream with Jack and Tim. Um, Jack is Jack Bigadoo, which is the Hood Sommelier on Instagram, and then Tim Van Riper, who is uh, Single Barrel Snob on Instagram. If you're not following either of those guys, absolutely hop over and do that. Uh, Tim's in the middle of his 30 days of bonded, celebrating bonded whiskey in the month of March, um, trying to work out a way to get that warehoused where um, you know maybe using a hashtag or something like that, it's easy for people to come back to and watch over and over again because it's pretty educational a lot of fun information there um last weekend got an opportunity to spend the weekend in nashville that's only a couple hours from here so it's not too bad but while i was there i was able to pick up some uh whiskey from company distilling and then uh found a bottle of corsair corsair triple smoke um i usually don't enjoy smoked uh whiskey of any type uh, but we'll see how that goes and it'll be you know sort of fun to taste especially as a um, start contemplating single malts, American single malts, and, and what that means for me. Um, beyond that, Whiskey Weekend Batch 4 is coming up. That's going to be fun. And then this weekend is obviously uh, March Madness. If you are even remotely aware of what's going on in the college sports environment, um, it's one of the biggest weekends of the year for basketball. Uh, at least this weekend is as it starts to open up and you start to have those wonderful storylines that get created by media as far as hype. My chair keeps wanting to roll to the side, and I don't care for that. Um, it'll be fun. You know, obviously, my alma mater slash team that I root for is playing tomorrow night. 
Um, and if they win out, they've got an opportunity to play against a bona fide blue blood within college basketball. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, maybe Saturday we'll be making a trip to Indianapolis to go watch them play in person. Who knows? Um, but tomorrow is also St. Patrick's Day, so it's an opportunity for um, all of us to pretend like we're Irish. And, you know, it, I always I always laugh because everybody's a little bit Irish on St. Patrick's Day. Um, but with the advent of things like Ancestry DNA, we all might find out if we are just a little bit Irish. Um, you know, it was one of those... Uh, Everybody has somebody who says, oh, yeah, we've got uh, Native American in our bloodlines or we've got this particular ethnicity or that, just trying to claim it. But the Ancestry DNA has helped shut a lot of that down. Now, for myself, 10%, 10 solid percent um, with a margin of error of plus or minus 9%. So it could be 1%. It could be 19% um, based off of the way they work things. But St. Patrick's Day is the day that we always sort of celebrate. And uh, it was always one of those... For me, St. Patrick's Day was a day that, at least once I became a college student, it was a day that sort of fell usually in the middle of college spring break. So it was just another excuse to enjoy some degree of libations. Um, and, you know, we you get all the, the stories and the history behind, uh, or maybe the lore behind what St. Patrick's, or who St. Patrick was. And, you know, that's what St. Patrick's Day is, a celebration of St. Patrick. And in the western portion of the state, at least, there's a significant portion of Protestants and not so many um, Catholic folks. So saints don't mean a ton to, to people in this part of the state. But um, St. Patrick's is celebrated March 17th, obviously. It's the anniversary of um, St. Patrick's death. Uh, he died in the 5th century. And Irish have observed this, ho this holiday for over a thousand years. Um, it usually falls during the Christian, it does fall during the Christian season of Lent. Uh, if you know anything about religion, you know what that means. If you don't, you don't. Then, then maybe this will this will help you. Um, during that time frame, uh, people who are observing Lent are prohib prohibited from consuming meat. Um, but oftentimes, those uh, prohibitions will be waived, specifically on St. Patrick's Day, um, as there are a number of different traditional meals. Uh, St. Patrick's was celebrated for a whole lot of things, but um, he was uh, St. Patrick's was a was a Roman citizen, I believe, that was kidnapped and then sold into slavery and then left and came back to Ireland. Um, he, you know, the the lore around him is that he preached a sermon that was so um, rousing that it ran all of the snakes out of Ireland. Now, the, biologically, we know or at least have learned that. Um, Ireland has never had snakes as an island anyways. Um, and so maybe it's more of an illustration of his prowess as a preacher and running out uh, pagans or some other type of heathen um, based off of their religious concepts. But it's it's always interesting to see something that starts as a religious holiday and turns into something uh, similar to what it is now. It's a celebration of all things Irish, all things... Um, uh, often, th oftentimes, all things uh, bar related, um, but for Kentucky, you know, I, saw, I, I started wondering, like, is there some degree of correlation or relation to um, St. Patrick's Day and, and us? You know, we can draw some pretty strong parallels as far as immigration and whatnot, but um, historical texts 
indicate that the first explorer of the territory that is currently known as Kentucky may have been an Irishman. Um, most of the hist- history books don't actually have the name recorded of the person, but there's some there's some, some guesses as to who it might have been, and you have to keep in mind that whenever they're doing this degree of exploration, it wasn't even the state of Kentucky. It was just, a, I believe, just a county or a municipality or a region within the state of Virginia. Virginia was much, much larger. Uh, And so at that point in time, they're trying to explore through the state and figure out, you know, what's useful and what's not. Um, And whether an Irishman was the first to explore or not, um, it doesn't really matter because what we do know for sure is that amongst the wave of immigrants within the state of Kentucky, there were vast quantities of Irish people. And I think I read something um, that indicated that if we look at the um, ancestry makeup of people that live in the state, the number one makeup uh, or the number one most common um, lineage is German, followed directly by um, Irish. So whether you believe that or not, I, I can I could try to cite a source. I'm probably not going to. Um, <laughs> but what we... <laughs> There's been discussion that maybe the the reason why there was a, a rich potential Irish tradition is that there's a similarity between the topography of rural Ireland and that of central Kentucky. Um, you find those rolling hills. You find you know the the um, the the stone um, fences that were often made. Um, and you know stone fences are something that is that are pretty common in England, in Scotland, and in Ireland. I mean they're they're known for having rocky soils and if you're trying to be a farmer of any type, as you work the land, uh, stones will pop up. And so a lot what, a lot of what happened uh, in central Kentucky is what happened uh, previously in other states is that as they worked that land and those stones sort of rose to the surface, it's almost, in some regions, it's almost as if the, the earth is birthing these stones. They um, pull them out of what is usable land, but then uh, create some structure with it. They they have, have use for it. And so that's... Um, the existence of those types of fences in the state of Kentucky and specifically in that region can point to some pretty uh, distinct correlations that uh, whether it be English, Irish, or Scottish, there's a pretty heavy influence in this state. Um, If you look at our infatuation with horses, our infatuation with whiskey, those things all drive um, very, very strong parallels. But then if if you back into music, music is a really good place. If you were to um, walk back into the hills uh, and mountains of East Kentucky, you'll find very specific dancing styles and music styles that share some really strong commonality with that of um, traditional Irish music, and specifically the the fiddle slash violin, whatever you want to call it, the way it's played, some of the styles of clogging that exist, a whole host of things. There's a lot of distinct similarities between the two, and so we've got a little bit more to to celebrate whenever we consider those things as well. You know, our our foundations may be built upon the the history of of Ireland in and of itself. <clears throat> and then if we start thinking about whiskey and that's what we're all here for we're all here to talk about whiskey we're all here to drink whiskey to think about whiskey to to do all of those uh, whiskey related things um there are similar storylines between that of irish whiskey and bourbon um if 
anyone who's obviously watching this channel likely already knows this. Um, Bourbon had a really, really rough uh, 20, 30, 40 years of existence in the modern uh, American marketplace. We were pushing the edges of those types of things. Um, the injury buzz tonight. Hey, hey, Robbie, thanks for being here. The injury buzz tonight. Well, there's not even injury buzz. It's just what we're drinking for the night is uh, because the only place that I think that is allowed to use the term entry buzz is the folks over at Chillfield Podcast, which is a fantastic podcast, an opportunity for you to learn tons more and have far more interesting conversation. And they're now on YouTube. So if you would hop over there and give them a subscribe as well. But tonight we're drinking Redbreast uh, 12 year and it is not the cask strength. It's just single pot still the, the normal stuff. But we are pre-tuning, preparing St. Patrick's Day Eve, whatever you want to call it. Um, and trying to find ways to relate St. Patrick's Day to Kentucky and to Kentucky whiskey. Um, so in in that vein, um, there was a distinct problem in bourbon in the you know, 20, 25, 30, 35 years ago where it was a, a dying market segment. People were not nearly as interested in purchasing it. And that's exactly what actually happened to Irish whiskey. Um, at one point in time... Um, Irish whiskey distilleries just disappeared. You got to the point to where there was no one making Irish whiskey anymore. Now, part of that has to do with um, the economy in Ireland. It has to do with immigration. It has to do a whole host of things. But um, Scotch reigns supreme. Scotch has been one of those uh, spirit segments that has weathered the storm regardless. And it's you know got pretty global acceptance as far as a market segment. Um, and so people are always going to purchase large quantities of Scotch outside of Scotland. And I, I think that the second largest Scotch marketplace is the United States. The first largest Scotch marketplace is either Japan or China. Um, and S Scotland itself falls way down the list. And so it has this widespread acceptance. But Irish whiskey and bourbon had a very, very troubling time uh, for for a while. And so now we, we see this, this, what we call a bourbon boom happening where um, craft distilleries are popping up left and right and people are reviving dead brands and doing a whole host of, of things like that. This is beginning to be the case with Irish whiskey as well. Uh, I've heard a number of podcasts and I think um, my, my friends over at Bourbon Lens have talked about um, a couple of brands in the last couple of weeks and people that are just sort of you know saying hey you know we're trying to revive the concept of Irish whiskey and Within Irish whiskey, they have bonders that are basically non-distilling producers, where they're you know picking up whiskey from somewhere else, they're storing it, they're aging it, they're doing whatever they want to with it, and then they're selling it. And so, you see this real kindred spirit between Irish whiskey and and bourbon. Um, I think that we, we might consider them cousins, uh, or at least best friends <laughs> that that are trying to achieve something very, very, very similar. Um, and in that, you see. Um, you see Irish whiskey tagging in directly to um, bourbon in tangential fashions and in uh, corollary fashions with even rye. And so one of the things that I, I saw in the marketplace in the last couple of weeks, if you are paying attention to whiskey, you've already seen it as well, is that Kentucky Owl is doing their St. Patrick's Day bourbon whiskey. And what that is, is it, it has almost nothing to do with Irish whiskey. Um, the, what it is is there's a blending collaboration between Kentucky Owl 
and J.J. Corey Irish Whiskey's uh, Louise McGuane, I think is how that's pronounced. Um, the, the guys over at Bourbon Lens can correct me because they actually had her on um, their episode last week, which was a fantastic episode. Go listen to that. Um, talking to her about what she's trying to do within Irish whiskey. Uh, a lot of my interest in wanting to talk about this came directly out of that interview. Um, but the the second step of that, so you've got Kentucky Owl trying to bring in an Irish uh, whiskey producer and have that person create a blend. And then we're going to say this is our Kentucky Owl blend for St. Patrick's Day, which may or may not be delicious. I don't have any. I haven't been able to try it. Um I suspect it is, given the pedigree of the person who put the blend together. But these barrels that were used to um, store this limited edition are now going to go to J.J. Corey Irish Whiskey. And, you know, we we've, we all know that um, Irish and Scotch whiskey are huge consumers of ex-bourbon casks because they're going to age their whiskeys in that to pick up their own flavors. Um you know, due to its geography, due to the fact that, you know, we're getting the brand new barrels here in Kentucky and we're aging in them and doing a potentially a lot of extraction in the first five to seven years, we pass them over to uh, folks in England, Ireland, and Scotland to, to age their whiskey. And with their climate being more moderate, you know, uh, I think I heard where they're only having a, you know, an island, they might have two days out of the year that might have 100 plus degrees, um, but they don't have a ton of freezing. They don't have this kind of up and down um, ecosystem that creates this rapid, or at least not, I don't want to call it rapid aging, but a different aging uh, prospect. They're going to want to put like 12 years is going to be a relatively young whiskey in Scotland. That's, you know, it's got a, a light color to it. It's going in, in, in you know, oak barrels or whatever. Um, so they're going to age significantly, significantly longer. And so one of the the interesting stories that I really like are these people that have these collaborations where, um, like with with Bell Mead, where they pick out and they age their bourbon and they pass it off to a stout company, and that stout company ages a stout beer in it, and then they pass the bar- the barrel back, and now you age whiskey in it again, and so now you've got uh, you've got a, a stout a bourbon aged stout and then you have a stout aged bourbon that all come out of the same barrel this reuse and this this partnership and collaboration are the things that we're all i think super super interested in so i'll be interested to see what jj Corey comes out with um, as a direct result of this relationship now you know this is a kentucky owl blend that doesn't have anything to do with dixon deadman who was you know sort of the founder of that brand um, but that doesn't mean that it is good or bad or you know indifferent at that point they're they're creating a blend and they're doing a thing um another way another way that um irish whiskey has an impact on kentucky bourbon or at least has some sort of a relationship with it town and branch and this is this is one that until i started poking around i didn't know this myself now i knew that town and branch was owned by Alltech, and Alltech is a um, multi-focus company that is based in Lexington, and they do um, animal feed, meat, brewing, distilling, a whole host of different things. And their distilling side is focused explicitly, I don't want to say explicitly, but very heavily towards Town & Branch. I have a couple of their offerings here. It's a really um, neat uh craft distillery that exists in Lexington, Um, but it was born out of um, 
the the existence of Town and Branch was born out of the uh, businessman who began uh, Alltech, and that is as Pierce Lyons. Uh, Pierce was interested in whiskey distilling, and obviously he wanted to get back to his roots of Irish whiskey. Um, but being in the states and and doing the things that he did. Um, it lended itself to let's just start with bourbon, and so you know he we have an Irish businessman who has a passion for distilling that creates a um, multi million if not billion dollar company that then says hey let's make some bourbon and then you know I think there's been some subsequent uh, Irish whiskey releases or Irish whiskey um, tangential conversations that have happened, and so that's you know sort of a, an aside for it and then not directly related to bourbon and i know <laughs> i feel bad because i just saw this pop up on social media one of my friends is actually gonna be talking about this tomorrow night on a live is a company called keeper's heart and keeper's heart is a distillery that is now housed in a former potato processing plant in minneapolis and they have a, a they've got a master distiller and the idea was that um the family behind this brand has a huge passion for Irish whiskey. And so they wanted to found slash sell as much Irish whiskey as they could. But being here in the States, they said, hey, you know, what's what's another way we can connect with the American consumer? Because trying to convince a Western consumer that you need to shift into another market segment altogether into Irish whiskey when you're from the United States is incredibly difficult. You know, once we get our mindset that it's got to be bourbon and bourbon only, um, or rye or Canadian or whatever, scotch, whatever. And you know, once you're, once we're dead set on something, it's hard to get us to swap. And so they approached it with a blend concept in mind. And this is something that, uh, that I sort of find, you know, really, really interesting is they, they took, um, Irish whiskeys and they blend it with American rye whiskey to create a what I can only assume is a unique flavor and it kind of reminds me of what the uh, what Turner Wathen's doing over at um, Rolling Fork they've got Fortuitous Union which is a rum rye blend um, it's a it's a way to sort of you know kind of gain the interest of whiskey drinkers uh, or rye drinkers and bring them into the fold of rum or gain American whiskey consumers and bring them into the fold of Irish whiskey because there, there's a lot of similarities that, that exist there. And so within this this Keeper's Heart blend, there's this Irish-American blended components. And so there's two parts Irish whiskey, one part uh, American whiskey. And so there's a triple distilled pot still whiskey that exists in there, and it's you know malted and you'll have to bear with me because my contacts are just just getting destroyed right now. Um, but they're sourcing some whiskey out of Ireland. They've got triple distilled, triple distilled pot still whiskey that is going to be aged for four years um, in in what looks like American bourbon barrels. But then there's also a component of grain whiskey from Ireland as well, also aged in four aged for four years. And then they're blending in a 95, what appears to be a 95.5 rye, and we can make assumptions as to where that rye is coming from to create this this unique flavor profile, and also maybe um, put their own stamp on the American whiskey marketplace by saying we have this unique. Um, 
you know, if we call ourselves the the melting pot of the world, a Irish American blended uh, whiskey really kind of fits that bill in the same way that a rum whiskey blend or any other amalgamation that you can make taste good. Because that's what it ultimately boils down to at the end of this is that is the thing that you're putting together an actual good flavor profile. Um, these are three ways that I think that we can, we as bourbon slash whiskey drinkers can connect with the holiday, can connect with the, the whiskey style, can connect with the culture that is behind it, you know, entirely and maybe not step too far out of our own comfort zone. So we've got the ability to pick up a blend of an actual, um, Kentucky bourbon that was blended by, um, the, the uh, Irish Whiskey Company. We've got a Keeper's Heart, which is this um, blend of Irish and um, whiskey from the United States. And then you've got a company that is has got its roots firmly planted in the state of Kentucky, but its foundations built on the back of um, an, an Irish businessman that found his you know fortune or success here in the United States. All three of those are, you know, truly, truly American stories um, and truly ways that we can sort of connect with the product at a different level. Uh, now, none of those are directly related to Redbreast. And if you you know, start talking about Irish whiskey, you're going to have people that are going to talk about Redbreast and they're going to talk about um, Teeling and they're going to, I think Teeling's Irish. Maybe that's not. I can't remember. And then, um, is it Jameson? Jameson is our other big one. Um, I tend to go with Redbreast because it reminds me an awful lot of um, craft whiskey in the States because it's, you know, it's a pot still. Um, they have rules that kind of go behind what it takes to become an Irish whiskey, and I can go through those, but you can find those with a quick Google right now as well. Same thing with, you know, bourbon and, uh, and its rule sets. But its flavor profile is not directly related to anything um, bourbon or American whiskey. And that's okay. But it's also not so far-fetched that if you're a American whiskey consumer, you can't drink this and appreciate it. And so that kind of wraps up what I've got for tonight. I've got a few other things planned coming up in the very near future. But tonight was you know, intended to be a short episode to begin with. Um, hope you enjoy your St. Patrick's Day or March Madness weekend, however you want to treat it. Uh, maybe you blend the two tomorrow together. I just hope you can remember what actually happens in the games if you celebrate uh, St. Patrick's Day, take your opportunity to you know make smart decisions, get home safely, do all of those wonderful things, or um, imbibe your spirits at home, prepare whatever traditional meal you need to for St. Patrick's Day. There's a host of them out there. Um, or just you know enjoy some time with family and friends and, and do all those wonderful things. So thank you for joining me tonight or today or whenever you happen to be catching this. I hope you found this episode entertaining. And if you did, please leave me a review on whatever platform you have to be consuming this on. Leave a comment if possible and hit me up on social media at Twitter or Instagram using EmbellishPod. And give me a follow so you can keep up with what's going on. I can be found at www.embellishpod.com with all of my links, accounts, contact details. I'll be back again next week with another new offering for you. So until then, cheers and thanks for hanging out.